Welcome back to the Okie Sports Roundup. There has been a brief hiatus, both uh, the fault of technical issues uh, and our own busy schedules. But man, we have a lot to talk about. I'm joined today. We got a full house. We have Tim and John uh, on the line. We're going to talk about some big news with Oklahoma State and the Oklahoma Sooners. John, great to be with you today. Michael, it is always a pleasure. Yeah, apologies for the technical difficulties. I would say it is 90% my fault, probably not 100% though. So regardless, we think we've put that behind us. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear what both you and Tim have to say for your Sooners. But Tim, it's been a while since you've been with us. It's good to have you back as well. Yeah, John, maybe most importantly is me and Michael haven't been on the podcast together um, since I heard Michael make fun of my kids' intelligence. And Michael, <laughs> let me first address that by saying, if you mention my kids' intelligence in this episode, I've got like 17 jokes about your Greek heritage locked and loaded. I, I don't think it was specifically the intelligence. <laughs> Michael, well, Michael was... we, can, we can dig it up. The point is. I've got several Greek jokes ready. Okay. Okay. Well, that's fair. Um, I, I'm sure your kid is very cute, Tim, and doing very well. That does not address their <laughs> intelligence at all. You, Michael, <laughs> I'm, if I'm, anything, I'm, I'm you're sure doubling your down. Kid, I, I'm sure your kid is meeting all of their developmental milestones and maybe even ahead of a few of them. Again, that says nothing about their intelligence. Yes, it does. <laughs> The developmental no. milestones quite literally does. Uh, or you could just be referring to their size because she is big. So that's not necessarily a smarts thing, you know. Well, um, <laughs> I'm sure you both have beautiful babies and they're going to be the best okay. of friends and Harvard awaits them. Uh, that. Michael, that, that'll be fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who gets into a better college, my kid or John's kid? You know, um, I think they're both <laughs> going to Harvard unless one of them breaks off and goes to Brown. And so then I guess you're going to get into the Brown versus Harvard debate. Mm. And, of course, the Harvardites are going to think that theirs is better. Ah. People are going to say, well, ours is better and, you know, theatrical um, interpretation of medieval dance. It's a it's a bold decision to just ignore the question altogether, Michael. But <laughs> that's what you decided to do. That's fine. We'll move You're on. Not a lawyer, Michael. <laughs> it's uh it's called bedside manner that I and I have to employ a different one with Tim. I'll show you my bedside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good to be back though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Why don't we start with Oklahoma State, um, if that's all right with you all? You all okay with that? That works for me. That's fine. So, obviously, Oklahoma State has had um, had a big game. Uh, they went on the road to Waco, a rematch of last year's Big 12 title game, and decidedly stomped on Baylor. I mean, decide, I mean they just absolutely obliterated them. Um, this was a game a lot of us were worried about, and actually – we thought Oklahoma State might lose a close game here. Um, John, very impressive uh, game, though. Tell me what your thoughts about it. Yeah, Michael, we, you and I talked about this game and how I still wasn't convinced as how good Oklahoma State is. And 
I will also go out and say I still don't really know how good they are. But one of the things that you and I talked about on the podcast was whether or not Oklahoma State had success in this game came down to how well Dominique Richardson played. Um, Dominique Richardson had a great game, 24 carries, 73 yards, and a touchdown. Um, I was also concerned about, about Oklahoma State's defense, and they did still give up almost 500 yards um, to a, a Baylor squad that I really didn't think that highly of um, offensively. So that still leaves some question marks um, in my mind, but they they won the turnover battle. They managed to, to squeak out some yards on the ground with Richardson and then obviously Sanders and his ability to escape the pocket and make plays was big. And then Spencer Sanders didn't turn the ball over. So, you know, when you do all those things, Typically, you're going to come away with a win. Um, so it was a good win. Uh, I'm I'm still not 100% sure I know how good Oklahoma State is. I think they're definitely one of the better teams in the Big 12. But as we will get into, the Big 12 is incredibly deep this year, and there are a lot of good teams. And Oklahoma State's got a tough stretch coming up. Um, the next four games, all against ranked opponents, I will be thrilled if Oklahoma State goes 3-1 and one in the next four games. Yeah, and cer- certainly, I mean, we're going to come back on that. This is the deepest conference in America right now. I have zero doubts about that. Tim, I, I want to ask you about Spencer Sanders. So, you know, seems like we've been talking about Spencer Sanders for like eight years because he's been there a, a long time. Struggled a lot with turnovers, and you've been, you know, quick to point that out in years past. This year, though, he's playing at a different level. He's cutting down on those turnovers. He's putting up actually really Heisman contending numbers. He's just not getting the recognition for, you know, media bias reasons. But how impressed are you with Spencer Sanders? And Tim, do you think that his efficiency drops at all? Or do you think he maintains this level? Uh, Michael, I'll be honest with you. I, I hope for Oklahoma State's sake that his efficiency improves. I don't know if you've seen, but uh, he was under 50% completion against Texas Tech, and he threw the ball 45 times. He's been really good on the ground. And, yeah, to your point, he's not turning the ball over, but I still don't think he's there through the air where they necessarily envisioned him at the start of the season, if that makes sense. I mean, we all knew what he could do on the ground. And, yeah, his biggest knock, at least that we had, was turnovers at the start of the year, but the completion percentage doesn't jump off the page at you. And I mean, you can get away with it early in the season. You have a lot of weapons, but again, it's going to be a focal point this year. Can you convert against the TCU defense that is playing their tails off right now? When you get in those third mediums, when you get in those third and long situations, is Spencer Sanders going to be able to complete those passes? And this is going to be, this game's like obviously going to go a long way in telling how far Oklahoma State goes this year if they are a national championship contending team this year. I Again, everything has been really good so far. You don't have a lot of knocks on him, but yeah, that is the one thing is that at times he's been a little bit erratic, it, but I'd say that's the only thing. I mean, tighten the screws. You're at least making the right decisions, right, which is something that in the past, we've always chided on. He's throwing it into double coverage. He's underthrowing guys significantly, overthrowing guys, making bad reads. At least the reads are there this year, but it seems like the completions still aren't where you'd like them to be. 
Now, John, obviously Oklahoma State, you know, followed up that big win against Baylor with a um, kind of closer than expected win against Texas Tech at home. Uh, I have two questions for you, John, uh, and I guess one statement before that. One heck of a job Texas Tech coach McGuire's doing. So the first question, John, what did you think of the fair catch on the uh, onside kick attempt? And then two, what did you think of the defense in that in that win against uh, Texas Tech? Yeah, I think Texas Tech did a really good job of exploiting a weakness Oklahoma State has. And, I mean, they came out and threw the ball 62 times. Uh, and, and Oklahoma State's not seen a team do that. And so they sped the game up, um, and, and they kept Oklahoma State's defense on the field. They saw a ton of plays, which is something that got brought up uh, this past week in, in Mike Gundy's press conference previewing the TCU game is – this defense has got to be exhausted. Um, and, and that's something too, I think that, that Gundy pointed to as well. Yes, they're exhausted, but they've also been able to circle cycle through quite a few guys to get a lot more depth and experience. So it's a blessing and a curse. Uh, but, but I think that is something we will continue to see as the season goes on is yeah, tech was able to speed them up and, and run a bunch of plays, but tech also is not probably the best offense that, that Oklahoma state's defense is yet to face. Um, so I, I think that is something to look for moving forward. Um, I will say that quarterback Morton, whatever his name is, dude's a freshman and, and he was really impressive. Um, so, you know, I, I thought it was a, it was definitely a closer game than I expected closer than anticipated. But again, it was one of those where I, I never felt like Oklahoma state was going to lose it. Um, maybe I should have down 24 20 at, at half um, but it just you know I think we've talked about several games like like this on this podcast before where you go in and, and you just are never really worried about it because you you know how it's going to turn out now I don't feel that way at all about this next week um, going down to Fort Worth and playing TCU but you know that game I just I wasn't overly concerned I guess yeah, you know, certainly Oklahoma State's experience, Mike Gundy's experience in those positions made you feel good about it. Um, I'll be honest with you. I don't think the fair, the onside kick made a difference, um, but I'm a little frustrated that a fair catch by a player who's not in a position to make a play can negate a good onside kick. I truly think Oklahoma State would have won the game despite it. It's just one of those rules that irks me, much like a roughing the passer overturning an interception i'm like no the decision was made roughing the passer had nothing to do with the decision uh, but credit to mike gundy for having the special teams ready to to call that fair catch because it was kind of a wild um yeah. two minutes i i would also say to mike gundy's credit i i think that the special teams whether it be that play or you know several of the the block kicks that we've had or kick return touchdowns i mean the special teams has won several games for Oklahoma State this year. Um, so, yes, I agree. It was a weird play, but I would also say to you, to your point, props <clears throat> Mike and staff for getting that, that group ready every week. And to Tim's point, he was bashing on Spencer Sanders. It was 22 for 45. I mean, it that's wasn't under like, 50%. It was <laughs> barely. Nah, that's, but barely, I'm still barely. correct. Almost 300 yards passing, no picks, a touchdown in the air, two on the ground. I mean, you're 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 nitpicking. If I anything. told you, I told you I was nitpicking. I said you can't 
chastise the guy for a lot. But if you're going to, the completion percentage could be better. It's not like I rattled off 10 things that were wrong. Do you think he was pinpoint accurate on Saturday? Uh, here's, here's what I've heard and, and take it for a grain of salt. I've okay. heard that he's been nursing a shoulder injury. Um, there are reports that even this week he's been in a sling around campus. Um, so <laughs> I'm not making excuses for the guy. I but, mean, that but, would, I would quantify that as a legitimate excuse. But yeah. then it seems like you're saying, yeah, he hasn't been completely accurate. Maybe that's why. Point no, still stands. I, I'm saying that overall, his completion percentage this year is very much in line with what he has done historically, right around 62%. But didn't we but expect him to make a jump this year, right? He has. You wouldn't let me finish. To Michael's point, he has significantly cut down. Numbers. Only two picks thus far through five games. I agreed. A massive improvement. And on top of that, I, I haven't looked, but I'm sure his rushing stats are up too. Yeah, he's what are we at? He's got six touchdowns already. That's the most that he's had, tied for the most he's had through three years. I think you're so, echoing exactly what I said. You're I saying said, he's not accurate. I I, no, I didn't say he's not accurate. I said, really, the only thing you can point to is the accuracy isn't all the way there. I said he's doing everything else really well. I think you just love to disagree with me. Well, Tim. Do you disagree with that? Let's, let's move on. Let's no, talk I don't. About so, let's talk oh, about man. TCU. So, okay, let's so, talk so, about the cane. So, so, Tim, this next one's going to be for you, and it's, it is moving into the TCU game. Obviously, this is a 2:30 game in Fort Worth against a resurgent TCU team who has blown the doors off Oklahoma um, and just beat an undefeated Kansas team. Granted, with the backup quarterback. Tell me, Tim. You know, you've got Brennan Presley um, and Bryson Green are kind of hitting midseason stride right now as receivers for Oklahoma State. You've got Dominique Richardson right now, who's playing very consistent football. He's finding the end zone and he's emerging as a, a solid and steady um, production for this offense. And then of course you got Spencer Sanders who on the ground has been phenomenal uh, in the air. Uh, he's making plays and he's not turning the ball over. All of these guys are going to have probably their toughest challenge yet going against this TCU defense that has been very physical, surprisingly. Tim, give me some of your thoughts about this game upcoming this weekend. I still think Oklahoma State's going to be able to move the ball. I mean, I know that TCU is probably going to be the best defense they've seen this year, but OSU has given you no reason to think that their offense isn't going to be successful, right? I mean, like you mentioned, they haven't turned the ball over. They're very dynamic offensively. They can do it on the ground. They can do it through the air. They've got veteran playmakers. This is a physical team as well. I mean, it's not like they're any slouch on the offensive line. So, yeah, will TCU present a problem? Sure, but this is still an offense that you expect to move the ball. But you're not looking at this game saying, can Oklahoma State offensively hang with TCU, right? You're saying, can Oklahoma State get enough stops to win this game? That's what it's going to come down to. Oklahoma State's going to get theirs. They're going to score 30 some odd points in this game. You wouldn't you wouldn't hesitate to make that bet right now. But again, TCU looks good offensively, right? 
Max Duggan has been phenomenal this year. Actually, a pretty cool number. Oklahoma State's averaging 46.4 points a game this year, Michael, through five games. TCU is averaging 46.4 points a game. The exact same. And they've done it against a pretty similar schedule, right? They've already gone through an early part of the Big 12 gauntlet. They played a contender in KU, a team that looks good. They went through an SMU squad that can blow the doors off offensively. And even though they uh, they gave up some yardage to Oklahoma, I mean, that game was never in doubt as much as I don't like to say it. So they have played a solid schedule, and that offense is really good. But again, it's going to come down to which defense can get a couple of stops. This is, this is going to be old school Big 12, I feel like, as opposed to last year with some of those Oklahoma State games where they got into a couple of defensive slugfests. So so Tim would be taking the over on points for this week. I bet the over is stupid. I haven't even looked at it yet, but I bet it's pretty high. So, John, you know, having all of that in mind, what do you think? How do you think OSU is going to perform defensively this week? And, and tell me then, what is your prediction for the game? Yeah, I think. I think defensively, I'm curious to see what Derek Mason does, because I think this is going to be really the first time you see his defense match up against a quarterback that that is a legitimate dual threat. Um, Max Duggan has been tremendous uh, so far this season, putting up similar stats uh, to that of Spencer Sanders. I mentioned him prior to the TCU-OU game as someone that I thought was underrated and that people weren't giving enough credit to, and he went out and looked like a, a superstar. So um, I actually agree with Tim on this. Um, shocking enough, I know. I think this will be an offensive slugfest, and whoever gets the most turnovers wins, um, which scares me a little bit after I just sang Spencer Sanders' praises about not turning the ball over. I'm hoping that I did not just curse the Oklahoma State offense, but um, being that it's in Fort Worth, being that it's on ABC at 2:30, um, I'm I would probably pick the Horn Frogs in this one. Don't wow. say that. Don't say that. Wow. So you've got the train horn of TCU being way too loud and way too often. I still have. It's a sellout. I don't know if you saw that. They sold out the game. I believe it. Now, John, I will ask you, how many OSU fans do you think are going to be there? <clears throat> well, I I say sellout. Here's why it's a sellout. TCU sold three – well, they reserved three of their home games to be sold in a package of tickets. So if an away team wanted to go to one of those games, they had to buy tickets for all three of them. So a bunch of Tech fans bought tickets – for the Tech TCU game, and as a result, helped sell out a lot of TCU's games moving forward. So, regardless, um, <laughs> it's it it it's just a little bit funny to me that it's a sellout. So, I'll I'll tell you, John. When, so I, as you both know, I went to the OU TCU game. I would say that there was one. The the stands were a little bit emptier than I thought they would be. Not barren, but maybe only 90% filled. A lot of OU fans, though. I mean, which Dallas, right, a lot of Oklahoma graduates, both OSU and OU, moved to Dallas, uh, or it's at least close enough that a lot of people could go to it, I I guess. And so um, are you thinking that there's going to be a decent amount of OSU fans there, maybe maybe 10%, maybe 5%? What do you think? 
Yeah, if you couldn't tell, I forgot your original question, which is why I didn't answer you. So thank you for circling back around to it. Um, I think there will be a decent amount of orange. I don't think it's going to be enough to really stand out, though. I don't think – I mean, you'll see way more at Bedlam. I'll say that. <laughs> I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But, um, you know, it is an interesting game, and obviously uh, TCU's got an explosive offense – um, of course, uh, led by Garrett Riley. Um, and uh, I think that personally, I think OSU is going to find a way to pull it out, but it is going to be a shootout. Tim, I don't know if we got your prediction. You you said there was going to be a lot of points. Tell me who you think is winning this ballgame. Uh, well, Oklahoma State better win this ballgame because I put a little bit of money on them. Um, I mean, they're a four-point underdog, which is – a little bit shocking for a top 10 team in the country. Uh, it's a lot of respect for TCU. Um, but yeah, I still think that Oklahoma state's got the better offense. I, again, it's going to be high scoring. It's going to be close. Spencer Sanders has his eight year senior moment and pulls this one out at the end. I'm banking on literally. Well, there, there we go. John, uh, any closing thoughts on Oklahoma State before we move on? This is this is free for whatever you want to say. Say it. <laughs> say uh, it. Yeah, I, I guess I would say that I think Derek Mason thus far has been a bit of a disappointment to me. Um, he is probably the highest paid coordinator that Oklahoma State has ever had, and I'm just not overly impressed with the defense today. I'm hoping that they proved me wrong at some point um, and, and kind of get things turned around and figured out, but they haven't done it yet. So that's something I'm looking for. Um, and then I, I'm praying and hoping that over these next four games, Oklahoma State can go three and one um, and still be relevant in the Big 12 title hunt. But as we will get into, it's a very deep league. So Oklahoma State goes TCU. Uh, I can't remember if it's Texas right after that. Yeah, so it's a it is a gauntlet of the next four games. So anyway, I feel really good about where Oklahoma State is compared to OU, though. I will say that. Yeah, um, that you know, I, I would agree with that. Uh, so let's move on to the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, when we last recorded, they were three and oh, but we were predicting that they would lose to Kansas State. Uh, then we all thought they would bounce back against TCU. Obviously, they did not. Uh, they got blown out. And then they got blasted in the face 49-0 in the Red River. Uh, the worst shutout loss in program history. The uh, first shutout for the Sooners in the Red River since 1965. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have entered the John Blake era, at least for the last two weeks. Tim, I, I want to start with you just – Give me some thoughts on the last three weeks for the Sooners. <laughs> Michael has been bad. It's been real bad. It's uh, it's gotten progressively worse. It's been. I don't I don't understand how uh, how you regress so drastically defensively so quickly. Like I don't know it. You go from tackling well to playing on the back end well to getting after the quarterback well through three games to not having any of that it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me and the offense the offense has more of an explanation again we talked about 
the Kansas State game where uh, they really shot themselves in the foot. What was it? Yeah. Ten penalties, a lot of bad throws, still put up a ton of yardage, still had a chance at the end. And then obviously in the TCU game, got off to a slow start. Offense started to get rolling, still a few overthrows. Boom, Dylan Gabriel goes out, that game's over. Offense can't do anything from that point on. And then Texas, well, Oklahoma doesn't even trust their backup quarterback. They've no. got, they're running the Wildcat for half the first half. It was, it was disgusting, but it's understandable, at least offensively, when you don't feel like you have a competent backup quarterback against a really good Texas team, as much as that sucks to say. But uh, you can't help but be very discouraged about how poorly the defense has played and how suddenly it came. Like, I don't, I don't have a logical explanation for how you can be so far gone from what you were through the first three games. And I understand that you're playing better opponents, but tackling, tackling doesn't matter. Doesn't care the opponent, right? If you're a good tackling team, it's going to be consistent regardless of the opponent. They went from playing really physical to not being able to tackle anybody. And you're going to have coverage busts. You're going to be bad schematically. That's going to happen from game to game. But to just become bad tacklers, I don't, I don't know how that happens so drastically. And now it's not a defense that has any confidence at all, right? Once they, once they lost that Kansas State game, it seems like all the confidence went straight out the window. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had a defense that you felt good about through three games, and now a defense that feels like this is circa 2019 through 2021 again. Yeah, so, you know, this, I actually agree with you a lot, Tim, about momentum seems like they've just lost the room. So I'm going to throw out a stat that's wild here. Hit me. Michael, hold games. on. Hold on. Oh, hold go, on. Go ahead, John. Hold on. Go ahead. I'm I'm going to let you and Tim go off and discuss OU, and, and I will stay out of it. But I do just want to say, before oh, the season even started, I came onto this podcast, and I said, I do not understand how Oklahoma can be ranked as a top 10 team despite losing their head coach, their offensive and defensive coordinator, their starting quarterback, their starting wide receiver, and a bunch of other players on defense. I didn't understand it at the time, but Tim told me, John, it's Oklahoma football. That's why. Well, <laughs> guess what? Someone was right. Someone was wrong. So this is not a surprise to me that we are here and we find ourselves with OU having lost three games already and being out of the top 25. My yeah. bold prediction was that Oklahoma would lose three games this season. I didn't think it'd come in the first six games, but here we are. So all that to be said, Tim's saying he doesn't understand it. It's a shock to him. It's not a shock to me. I called oh, it. You, you didn't. They're not going to lose three games this year. They're going to lose a lot more than three games. So even you didn't expect they were going to be this bad. It, it, it is said true. Piece, Tim. Do what? I've said my piece, Tim. But well, even it, you I, didn't think this was coming. No, I don't, no you, one thought this was coming. I mean, yeah, I thought they were going to be really good. I thought they were going to contend for a Big 12 title. I'll admit that. But even you didn't think the bottom was going to fall out like this. I mean, no one was able to tell me how a program can lose a head coach, defensive and offensive coordinator, starting quarterback, 
and a bunch of other players and still be ranked in the top 10. I thought it was an absolute joke, and that's why I've said we need to wait until at least game six or eight before we even start ranking teams. Because I, I then you agree. have a much better feel for what's going on. I, well, I, I sure. waiting six weeks. I, the AP poll needs to be just abolished. No, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I mean, as as games, a business, right? as a business, the what college football would never do that. Right? I mean, where's the interest in a top 25 matchup at the start of the year if you're throwing rankings out the window? You don't know who's good, so you're not going to get eyeballs. That's a that's a silly thing that would I never mean, happen. It, it it you are right that a lot of this is financially driven decisions, right? But I think the point John's making is still valid. Of but that's why they wait. Rankings suck. That's why they wait to drop the college football playoff rankings till late later on in the season, because that's when it starts to matter. But you can't get rid of the top 25 in the preseason top 25. It's what creates interest and in, it's what pushes these TV numbers early in the year for not always the greatest matchups, but. On paper, it looks good. So it's, I mean, it's a business decision, but the real rankings are the college playoff rankings, right? Like that's what, right. that's what the playoff teams are decided on. And those aren't till later in the year. So, I mean, the BCR, that not the BCS, but the AP is just an opinion poll the entire season anyway. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just a, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it would be a problem if the college football playoff poll had a preseason top 25. And there are ranking teams week in and week out. That would be that would be more supportive of your argument. But they're not going to get rid of the top twenty-five rankings. If anything, rankings are more important than ever for the business side of it. Hence, the way too early top twenty-fives. Those articles get all sorts of clicks. I People would disagree. buy into that stuff all the time. I would disagree. You know why I would disagree? Why because, would you disagree? Because you were more well. I won't say more likely. You were just as likely to turn on. OU versus Nebraska, then you are, let's say, Cincinnati versus UCF. It doesn't matter if Cincinnati is ranked in the top 10. You're not watching that game. It doesn't matter what their ranking is. You're watching OU play Nebraska because it's two blue bloods. Nebraska could be 0-10, but you'd still watch that game over Cincinnati, you know, Tulsa. Here's one. Here's one. Utah, Florida, if none of them have a number on them at the beginning of the year, do you watch that game? I'm still watching that game. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I would have. But you're an educated college football fan. The okay. average football fan, <laughs> if if there's not if there's not a number in the preseason poll, because the average football fan doesn't know, oh, Utah is a real team. This is a good team. But they see the preseason numbers on them in Florida and they're like, oh, my God, a top 15 matchup to start the year. I've got to watch the Utah Florida game. I mean, of course, of course. First of all, I think you are insulting a ton of people by saying that they are unintelligent enough to know that that Utah's got a solid program. I don't. I, mean, I, I don't think the average football watcher in the preseason, if you eliminate the preseason poll, if you pulled the average person, they couldn't match up. 15 of the top 25 teams each season in the preseason poll. Do you right. disagree with that? I don't disagree with that. No, I don't know no. if I could have picked 15 that, of the top 25 in the preseason poll without looking. That's proving my point, though. That That's saying 
that but I'm saying have, if it wasn't for those polls, then people wouldn't know which games necessarily to tune into those first couple is, of weeks. Which is my point, which is why you would still watch OU Nebraska regardless of the rankings. You would still watch I, USC, I, UCLA. Like, but you wouldn't watch yeah. Utah, Florida if you didn't know that that was a top 15 matchup week one. But yeah. it is because it's built that way due to the preseason poll. So they got millions of viewers to watch that game. But if neither team is ranked, who's tuning into that game? I, I, I mean, I, I think I've already made my point here, Michael, and I think Tim's further proving it. So we can move on to the, you know, what show that is OU if we if we want to. You know, I mean, interesting points. But so, Tim, the stat I was going to throw on, lay on you that speaks a lot to your opening statement. Oklahoma, after the first three games, and I get they played not good teams. I understand that. Led the nation in tackles for loss at 32. They had several sacks. And since Big 12 play has started, Oklahoma's tackle for losses, I think in Texas they had two. They have not had any sacks. Um, So it, it is remarkable how the defense has regressed. And, of course, the opponents are better. The Big 12 is an underrated conference. It is very talented. It is very deep. These teams are good. We all get that. I understand that. John understands that. You understand that. And I think any true college football fan understands that. But it's odd. I mean, it it is a stunning regression. Now, Tim, one thing I have a problem with defensively and I want your thoughts and John's too about this three-man front for Oklahoma. It doesn't seem like they have the players to be really successful with only having three down linemen and not rushing the passer often. What do you think, Tim? I mean, for a for a three-four defense to be successful, you got to be able to cover, right? I mean, you have to be creative with your blitzing. They've got to come from. The outside, you've got to sneak whatever secondary players up to pressure the quarterback. But that means you have to be sound on the backside, right? Because, again, pressure is kind of contingent on that secondary. Unless you're getting a free rusher and the quarterback has no time, most sacks are contingent on the secondary. So Oklahoma, like you said, we're get, was getting pressure consistently early on. But now you're playing better offensive lines. and Venables, you, you try to get creative. You try to send guys from different spots. But then the secondary plays just bad. Again, how many long touchdowns has Oklahoma given up or long chunk plays just on blown coverages? Like you go back and they show these replays and, oh, this guy's out of position. Oh, this guy bites on this. There's no one in the neighborhood here. It's just a bad execution. It's guys not knowing their assignments this- and – that doesn't do the favor. That doesn't do anyone any favors. But if you're playing in a four-man front, then you have a little bit of leeway because, again, you're sending four guys at the quarterback every time, and that offensive line has to account for four guys. And then, obviously, you throw in extra blitzers and everything like that. But once you have to account for four instead of three and adjust to extra blitzers, then yeah, you do create more pressure, and there's less pressure on the backside. But again, you can be really good defensively in a three-four. You just have to be somewhat sound on the back end, and they're not, Michael. So, yeah, to your yeah. point, they probably would be better as a base 4-3, but it's too late for that. I mean, it's not like they're going to change everything schematically because people don't understand 
how large of a change that is to go from a three down front to a four down front. It changes everything for every position group on that defense. So it's not like they can change that between a bye week, right? I mean, it's an entire yeah. off season yeah. install of that it's, thing. It's, and, it's a spring practice, a fall practice. Right. I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's a lot of repetition that you're not going to get in a week to week basis. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. To your point, I mean, for the, for the talent and for the defensive backfield that Oklahoma's got, the three, four probably isn't ideal just because those guys seem green, right? I mean, Woody Washington's been there, but that guy doesn't know his, his ass from a, from a hole in the ground, Michael, <laughs> um, that's putting it lightly, but uh, yeah, it's just been it's just been very discouraging to watch you know, on the back end. Against uh, TCU, the amount of chunk yardage plays has never happened in that those statistics. I believe that ever. Not under Mike Stoops' defense. Not under Alex Grinch' defense. Never. The seventy-four yard touchdown, the sixty, all those long touchdowns in one game, never had happened. And an Oklahoma Sooner defense ever. Um, kind of wild. Uh, now, obviously, there's there's big issues in the defensive front. How much do you think is Ted Roof? You know, I mean, I know this is probably Venables' defense. This is Venables' guy. What leeway do you think of this as Ted Roof? Because let's be real, Ted Roof has been a journeyman and not very successful or not one at major programs. He was an analyst at Clemson, and that's how he got brought along. Uh, what do you think of this as Brent Venables? What do you think of this as Ted Roof? I mean, it's obviously Brent Venables' defense, right? I mean, you can try to point the blame at certain position groups, but again, it's tough to say which position group is at fault, right? Because you can you can argue that none of the position groups look good, but it is obvious yeah. that this is a completely different defensive scheme because the amount of coverage busts and the amount of guys that are just out of position play after play, like you said, is considerably up from even last year and the last, then the year before that and Oklahoma wasn't good defensively, especially no. two years ago, but this no. looks on a whole nother level. So it is obvious that from top to bottom, this is a brand new defense and guys are still trying to figure it out. Am I ready to jump ship? Of course not. I mean, the guy succeeded at Clemson. He's fully capable of getting the same caliber of athlete at Oklahoma than at Clemson. But uh, unfortunately, it seems like this is going to take longer for this team to figure out this defensive scheme than a lot of people originally thought. Yeah. And, and you know, if I'm Oklahoma, and, and I do actually think Brent Venables long term is the right guy for this job. He knows this team. He's defensive minded. He knows the the state and recruiting um, he's a physical guy, uh, but it, it's going to be a, a, a process, I think, longer than any Oklahoma fan wants to admit or wanted to admit to begin the year. Um, you know, my thought defensively, and, and this it goes to the offense, too. You suck this year. There's no getting around it is that you are bad. You have to make progress every week. You have to win one or two more games. Ideally, you'd like to win three so you can go to a bowl game and get some extra practice. Young guys need to be playing. 
I want to see Kanak on the field regularly because here's what can't happen, Tim. You can't suck next year. So next year, a lot of these high recruits that have either been redshirted this year or or were they were trying not to play this year, I understand that. But towards the end of the year, you've got to start getting them repetition and um, because next year you can't use the excuse that this guy hasn't seen the field. And you need to iron out some of these things now because you've already lost this year. You're not winning the Big 12. You're not going to the playoff. You're not going to win a title. You're, you may not even go to a bowl game. And so I think that you you take your lumps this year and you do everything you can to set yourself up for a 9 or 10 win year next year. Um, and, and I want to see a lot of these younger guys, especially the linebackers, rotating in and continuing to develop because – we're going to need them in the future. And and there's going to be some moments that are bad, but it's, it can't be worse than what it is now. I mean, the o, OU is let, letting opponents average 4.62 yards per carry, worst in the Big 12. Teams have rushed for 1,200 yards against Oklahoma this year alone. That's 200 on the ground a game. They're just going to keep pounding. I mean, they're going to keep pounding it up the middle and, you know, in, in, in between the tackles, knowing that this Oklahoma defense isn't going to stop them. So, I think you got to give some of these younger guys a chance. Now, I agree. I want to talk about the offense Hold on. a little bit. Go ahead, John. Let me ask a question, Michael. I know you said if OU wins one or two more games, so let's let's roll with that just because that's what you threw out there. I think OU is going to win at least three more and be bowl eligible. But let's say they don't. Let's say they finish the year at four and eight or five and seven do people call for venable's head at that point uh i i mean people will because people are irrational i i don't think that would be a smart move now if you told me rue for levy and i'll get into that in a little bit especially levy i think that would be reasonable but i think you have to give him at least two years if not three and really, John, what you need is to show that he's making progress because let's let's be honest. The Oklahoma defense has been bad for a long time, and they learned a lot of bad habits from Alex Grinch. I know you're going to say, well, OS, you know, USC and Alex Grinch are doing really well this year. They're not playing anyone, and that defense is still giving up yards of plenty on the ground. And all of these poor angles and all of these I'm out of position, while we're seeing it more exacerbated this year – that's been the case for the last three or four years is is we've seen these guys going like, – when you're asking yourself, you're like, what are they doing? Why are they not turning around to make a play on the ball, especially in the secondary? There's been so many times where they – if they would turn around and make a play on the ball, could have either an interception or at least a pass defense, a breakup. But no, I, I would not call for Brent's head after this year. I don't think no matter how ugly it gets, I think the reality that Sooner fans are having to, to, to learn is – this defense or this team was less talented than we thought. And not that we, John, you you called it appropriately, I think, right? Why would this team be good? You you asked it at the beginning of the year, and and Tim and I thought they would be. Um, because we thought, hey, it's Oklahoma, they got players. Um, but this team in retrospect just isn't very good. And and maybe the cupboard was a little too bare. You know, 40% of the roster turnover. So I, I wouldn't ask for Venables to be fired at the end of this year, 
Um, I don't think the coordinators are off limits, though. I'll be quite honest with you. Um, but I, I think that you need to give him at least two years. And if at the end of next year it looks like this, then yes, can him. Now, and this is another question I have. Do any of you all remember the John Blake era? I don't. I was seven when Bob Stoops was hired. Did, Tim, do you remember it? Oh, in detail, Michael. And, and tell me, I mean, because like I said, I was seven when Bob Stoops was hired. You know, I remember a little bit of the 99 season, a little bit of the 2000 season, went to my first game in 2001. This this is like the John Blake era. I mean, I no, mean, this I was is, I was being extremely sarcastic. I don't know. I was, <laughs> I was seven years old. Michael. Come on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. I mean, we, we've been spoiled that since we've been seven years old, Oklahoma's at least been good. Right. Um, and so Oklahoma fans are going to have to be a little patient. It's funny. The, the older fans are like, hey, we've we've been here before. And, you know, the younger fans are all like about to abandon ship and jump off the cliff. I mean, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. Now, one thing I want to mention about the offense, Tim, and, and this is going to be a little bit of a statement. I'm very disappointed in Jeff Lebby. Um I don't think the Wildcat was bad for a series or two, and in fact, it was a little bit creative, and I liked the way they attacked on that first drive against Texas, those first few drives. Uh, I don't know why you're sticking uh, Davis Bevel out there at wide receiver for the entire game, when that is probably your most uh, stable position group, and he does nothing for you out there. He doesn't block. He doesn't serve as a threat for to run a route. You don't trust him to pass the ball, so what is he doing out there? Why is he wasting space? You're then going 10 versus 11, and, and I, I thought that was a really stupid error. Um, playing Nick Evers in the last five minutes was also a stupid error. If you're going to play Nick Evers, which I'm not against, play him early. Don't blow one of his four redshirt-eligible games to have him stand there for five minutes and hand the ball off. As far as I'm concerned, the only two quarterbacks that should be going out for the rest of the year for Oklahoma are Nick Evers and Dylan Gabriel. I, I would not play Booty. I would not play Bevel unless you absolutely have to because of injury. Uh, but if if one of those two guys is healthy, I'm playing just them. And, and I really hope Evers gets at least 100 throws this year because, again, you can't suck next year and you can't have him be so inexperienced next year. Um Presuming he's the future. I I agree. Would it mess with Evers' eligibility, though? I mean, is he redshirting right now? So so he's redshirting right now. But, you know, the rule is you get four games. That's the new rule, is, is you can play four games in a year and still redshirt. So it aggravates me that they used one of those games to trot him out there for five minutes. Right. Do nothing. Well, I agree. In the real world, what you would do is you would take the last four games of the calendar year and start him and not pull him, right? And just say, right. hey, go throw your interceptions now. Go throw in a double coverage right now. Go do something stupid. Yeah. Because next year, I don't want you to do that. So it really aggravates me. Again, I'm not aggravated they played him, but if you're going to play him, it needs to be meaningful and it needs to be actual reps. So mid-second quarter, I would have put him in. And not taking him out, and I would have opened the playbook up and said, hey, here's the plays you're going to run. Throw this. Make this read. Do right. that. I, I agree. 
I think that, you know, if Dylan Gabriel comes back, and I presume he will be healthy this week, you play him. But you also, I think, choose, if Nick Evers wants to hold his red shirt, you choose three games and you give him a ton of reps there, is my my point. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you. I mean, what do you have to lose, right? Right. I mean, nothing. We're bad. Now, you know, tell me, uh, Tim, do you think Dylan Gabriel is going to play? Say, I that, so. say that again. You think Dylan Gabriel is going to play this week? I think so. Yeah. I mean, uh, you were at the game, weren't you? OU Texas. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they showed him in warmups. He was out there in full pads, making yeah. throws and everything. And then they ruled him out. So I, you're not going to put the guy in full pads unless you think that he's cleared concussion protocol. So yeah, uh, he, he's got to be out of protocol now. So yeah, yeah, he'll, he'll play Saturday. Yeah. And, and, and you know, as, um, as we've joked, and I think everyone else knows, as much as the guy overthrows, um, he's obviously very critical to this OU offense because at least the ball moves with him, right? I mean, he at least throws a couple touchdown passes and at least sets the run game up a little bit better. So, um, you know, it, we've been spoiled. We made fun of Landry Jones. We made fun of Trevor Knight. We made fun of Spencer Rattler. And while they were inferior to the counterparts, boy, we'd love to have any one of them right now. Let me tell you that. Or we would have sure loved any one of them on Saturday. But uh, so I want to move into the this upcoming week. Um, OU is going to play Kansas at home. OU is opened as a favorite. Obviously, Kansas is coming in with a backup quarterback. Um, but tell me what John and Tim, what are your thoughts? I mean, this Oklahoma team doesn't have momentum. I know they're at home. But Kansas isn't a slouch this year. They're good. Yeah, I mean, Kansas Kansas is still Kansas. Like they're they're not 0 and 12 Kansas, but they they beat Tennessee Tech to start the season. They beat a, a pretty bad West Virginia team. They beat what has now turned out to be a pretty bad Houston team. <clears throat> they beat Duke. They beat Iowa State 14 to 11. So it's it's not like they've been setting the world on fire here. They're without their starting quarterback. And while I understand that they are ranked, this is still OU, okay? And so while I understand that, yes, it feels maybe like the wheels are falling off a bit, and this is uncharted waters for OU fans, take it from an Oklahoma State Cowboy fan who's had three losses this early in the season before, and just take a deep breath and know – you just came out of a pretty tough stretch of K-State, TCU, and Texas, who I think are easily in the top four, if not top three, and Oklahoma State's on the outside looking in on that. So probably the toughest part of the Big 12 schedule, and I think it's all downhill from here, and I, that's why I'm saying OU's easily going to make a bowl game, and they're easily going to beat KU this weekend. I, I like that optimism, John. I, I hope so. Uh, I will say, an aside, I think Texas is going to the Big 12 title this year. I know in the last podcast I had said that I felt Texas was getting much closer to being back. I'm not saying they're going to win the Big 12, but dear God, Bijan Robinson, Xavier Worthy, and Quinn Ewers, they're doing pretty well. Tim, give me your thoughts on uh, this upcoming game against uh, against Kansas. Yeah, Kansas has played four home games already, um, and they probably lose to Iowa State, 
if they're up in Ames. And I know they, I know they barely lost that game over the weekend uh, to TCU, but this is still a relatively young team. I mean, they've got playmakers for sure. Uh, who was that quarterback that came in in the second half for KU? Um, Jason Bean. Dude can spin it. Remember, he played for KU by, back behind center against uh, against OU last year. Michael, he threw four touchdowns in the second half of that game and gave KU a chance at the end. So a dude can still spin it. But, yeah, KU has basically lived up in Lawrence. So – this is going to be their first true road test. I mean, they went to what West Virginia early season and went to Duke. Yeah. The West Virginia game is impressive just to win in Morgantown, but West Virginia isn't, isn't a good team. I mean, West Virginia is going to finish down near Oklahoma in the big 12 this year. Yeah. So <laughs> West Virginia is the worst team in the big 12. And, yeah. and, and I'm pretty down on Oklahoma. West Virginia is the worst team in the big 12. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, uh, so Tim's got Tim and John both have a win at home. Uh, you know, I don't know how much of this is me being a little bit of a of a pessimist, but I think I'm going to go. Dylan Gabriel's going to play. Marvin Mims is going to make some plays. The running game for Oklahoma has actually been pretty good this year. They just when you're down 49 to zero pretty rapidly, that yeah. suddenly gets stifled. Uh, I'll have Oklahoma winning a closer than expected game this weekend and kind of at least righting some of the wrongs. Uh, any final thoughts, Tim, on the Oklahoma Sooners? Uh, this is discouraging, but uh, I'm I'm still trying to be optimistic, Michael. Game at a time mentality. I'm optimistic that uh, by the time Oklahoma State runs around, rolls around, that I will be picking an Oklahoma upset win. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it it's tough, right? I mean, it, it is tough and it's been a hard year already. Um, I think, you know, my final thoughts right now for Oklahoma, I think that things are going to be OK. Um, I think they're going to beat Iowa State. I think they're going to beat Kansas and I think West Virginia are all winnable. And then you have a good bowl game and good practice, at least. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, uncharted territory for sure. But you know, at least now the stress is removed, right? You're not you're not stressing out about some of these games anymore um, because because they're done. Um, but alrighty, well, you guys, it, John, any closing thoughts and closing remarks about anything? Yeah, I mean, I would just like to say for the record that I think Tim's uh, little girl is incredibly intelligent, and that I think they're doing an absolute wonderful job raising her. Um, and I think the only thing that could mess her up, um, Careful. is by making her become an OU fan. So, uh, <laughs> I continue to pray that that doesn't happen. Um, but other than that, I think they're doing a wonderful job. Well, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna live this one down. I have a feeling at least for a while, but, um, I wish you both the best and I, I hope that we have a great weekend of college football. 2.30, ABC. See you there. Yeah. My kid is smart. See you there. <laughs> 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 <laughs>